This is a sexy podcast. It's a very sexy podcast. It is. And after we just have so many other questions. So we're going to have to have Courtney back on. And listen, guys, we need you guys to give us all your questions, sex, relationships, because we're going to do round two with Courtney. Mm -hmm. So tell us all the things that you want to know about. Yeah. So we talked to Courtney Boyer. She's a sex coach. Mm-hmm. She is a licensed therapist, but a sex coach now. Well, she doesn't, cur- she's not currently licensed, right. but she's, yes. Right. She, yeah. In her former life. In her former therapist. life. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, but now she's a coach um, located in Germany. So. Yeah. She's a military spouse. Used to live here in Moore County. Now lives in Germany. Mm-hmm. And one reason we want to get back on, she wrote a book called Not Tonight, Honey. Mm-hmm. And so we want to read the book and then come back and ask her some more questions but the reason we're releasing this for the week of valentine's day is because we want you guys to have lots of sex this week yeah (laughs) that's why (laughs) no but all i mean it's an integral part of relationships clearly and um it's something that people don't talk about enough Mm -hmm. um is a little bit taboo to talk about still which i think is crazy because we are all conceived from sex yeah um so it's kind of crazy but like you don't want to think about that part well no i guess <laughs> i'm not gonna say here and think about it. <laughs> no stop but gonna, it's ah. important for us to know it's important for our relationships important for our kids to know and mm-hmm. be educated about it and you know if you believe a certain way important to relay that and why you believe that or that was something that i loved that she asked like mm-hmm. why do you have sex yeah. I was like, oh, wow. Let's peel the layers of that onion, right? Mm-hmm. And does anyone ever ask their partner that? Like, why do we have sex? Yeah, probably not. No, but what a great conversation starter. <laughs> Maybe right. not a starter. Listen to the episode. She she gives some good tips on how to. Yeah, you don't start <laughs> flow it that way. Into. Use a buffer. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, there's definitely lots of great advice of how to have the conversations here and mm-hmm. um, how to address that and get on the same page with your partner. Do you still feel like sex is a taboo topic to talk about in friendship circles? Um, Not as much in friendship circles. I think people still feel taboo and uncomfortable talking to their children about it. Sure. Absolutely. I would agree with that. So I think like, yeah, the, the parents and children, which creates a lot of the issues that I think we have and, you know, just kind of breaking generational cycles and, things like that. So, but I think our generation's doing a an okay job. Yeah. Most, most of us. Yeah. I would say so. I'm just like so enamored with the whole topic of sex and how many layers deep it is because it does span from like, okay, what do you think about sex? What does sex provide for you? Do you have any guilt, shame, things you're into that you've never disclosed? And then it goes runs the gamut to talking to your kids about sex and what's age appropriate for them to know Mm -hmm. and then what they see intimacy wise with their parents. And I'm not talking about sex. I'm talking about, you know, like physical entity, like you said, Brandon will like smack your butt or whatever. Mm -hmm. Same. Um, And just what becomes normal in your household becomes normal when you leave your household and then trying to figure out who you are and what you believe outside of that. Right. Is a whole process in itself. Yeah. So she's great. We'll definitely have a round two, but check out her, her book and all of her social media and uh, let us know what your questions are to 
to send back to her. She said she'd love to answer him. So yeah, I liked her. I did too. She's no bullshit. No, she's not. That's my type of person right there. (laughs) Enjoy Courtney. I'm Sarah. I'm Caitlin. Two women discussing all things in business. Welcome to She's She's the the Boss. Boss. Uh, definitely Thank our you. furthest away guest now. Yeah, <laughs> Germany. Yes. So <clears throat> we wanted to chat just like relationships, sex, all the things for Valentine's Day. And Yay. we know that you were a therapist, right? Yes. So I have a master. One of my masters is in uh, in mental health counseling. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I worked one as a of mental your health masters. and sex therapist. Yeah. Just one. Okay. So there's multiple. Just the other ones and something else. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just two, but yeah. Okay. And what is the other one in? In education and human sexuality. Oh, okay. Great. So it kind of all ties in together. It sounds like. Yes. Yeah. And what was the like, you know, fascination with human sexuality, relationships, all of that? Did that start at like a young age? Did you know what you wanted to do? Uh, No, I wanted to be a lawyer uh, because that's what my dad wanted me to be. And Mm. so I like, was pre-law in undergrad until about my sophomore, junior year. Uh, And so really where it came from was I grew up in the evangelical Christian church where uh, sex was not discussed and very much grew up in the purity culture. I went to a Christian high school. Our sex education, quote unquote, was essentially a woman telling us like the danger zone is anything more than kissing and ripping pieces of paper and saying like, anytime you have sex before you get married, like this is what you're doing to your heart. And so it, I, I was very steeped in this uh, pretty anti-sex, very sex shame, lots of shame around sexuality, lots of body image shame, and got to college and was like, this is so messed up. Like, there's got to be a better way. And so that's really what led me to be like, sorry, mom and dad, I don't want to study law. I want to study sex. <laughs> and how is that received? <laughs> so proud um so it's interesting <laughs> because I grew up yeah so my dad was an expert in child sexual abuse allegations he was a private investigator so I grew up in a very dichotomous world like like we don't talk about sex you know at church or school but then at home when I started working for my dad at 14 there's this whole world of like really awful perva- uh, per- pervert per- perverted perverted <laughs> yeah perverted um, sex and it's harmful and dangerous and, uh, ruins people's lives, you know, with a lot of these allegations and stuff. So he wasn't like so surprised, but his biggest concern was like, well, how are you going to make any money? Sure. And I was like, okay, well, thanks. <laughs> okay. Dad, thanks. Appreciate it. And my mom was like, uh, okay. I, whatever, like, whatever. <laughs> so they weren't like devastated, but they were just like, okay, this is really weird. Do you remember what like clicked for you? Because we've talked several times about your twenties being this time where you essentially grow up outside of your family unit and Mm -hmm. you have, you're exposed to all these new things. Right. And so you have kind of this path of like, Oh, 
well, this is how I was raised. Do I believe that? Is there a different way? Is there something else that resonates with me? What are my values? And then as you start to have a family that, you know, changes. So is there like a particular moment or a class you were in or something like that, that sparked the interest? So there were two moments. So I, again, in the evangelical Christian church, most of them believe that homosexuality is wrong. And I went to a Christian college that was pretty liberal. And our, I was in student government uh, throughout the years. But my freshman year, our student body president came out as gay. And I remember when he came out to the student government before he came out to the student body and was like, you can't be Christian and be gay. Like, I just, so like, that's really where I started to, and he was a theology major and like considered himself a Christian. So for me, that was the first time I had really butted up against people's beliefs that were different than mine. Mm-hmm. Um and so that's that's kind of what started it. And then I took a gender politics and law class my sophomore year of college, and we went, read The Women's Room, and that totally changed my life. Like reading that book just like totally upended how I saw women and sexuality, and was like, is this it? Like this cannot be it. Like in turn, because it's about this woman in the 1950s and like her journey of like relationships and her marriage and being a mom. And I'm like, well, this is fucking depressing. Like I don't, there's there's got to be a better way. And so I was really determined to like figure out what's a better way. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was the sexual revolution was coming shortly after that book. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Which um, I'm actually reading a book right now called, I think it's like the case against the sexual revolution. So there's a lot of like, Oh, interesting. Yeah. Different perspectives on, and again, it's the same thing with literally everything. The pendulum swings this way and then it swings back this way. And it's like, can we have any sort of homeostasis? Can we look at sex (laughs) in a way where it's not like free, we give it away to everybody. And also like you give it away to no one. And it's like this taboo thing. Like, can we talk about it in a way that meets somewhere in the middle? And uh, so I'm really curious your perspective and just the clients that you work with and, you know, how it comes up and what people talk about. It's just a very fascinating subject, Mm -hmm. I think. I'm curious about the ages, too, because yesterday we talked about the sexual revolution and like the generation of the people currently in their 60s that lived through that. And yeah, it's kind of that pendulum swing. Like, did they go all the way this way or (laughs) all Mm -hmm. the way that way? And now trying Like you're saying, impose that on our kids. Like we grew up um, Southern Baptist. And so there, you you know, you don't talk about sex. You can't dance. You can't drink. What? Oh, yeah. Dancing. Dance? We weren't allowed to dance. Can't gambling. Can't gamble. Mm -hmm. We weren't allowed to dance at our wedding if we used a pastor from our church. Because? Because dancing could lead to sex. Uh, hello vertical dancing leads to horizontal dancing (laughs) so okay because it could be sexual in nature and it would okay I guess my question would be for all of this right and you know I did not grow up in a religious household Mm -hmm. we were very much um you know I could go to church with my friends and experience that and like whatever you had questions about whatever we would talk about um but my question would be be like from a nature perspective, like a biological perspective where like arguably we are here to spread our seed. Right. So is that just negated? Like you go through puberty and then you have these urges and then you just like, I'm sorry, we repress that. 
No, no. And they yes, definitely we are. <laughs> yeah. They definitely like in our church they addressed it and they actually had like outside person come in and do a whole series on like Song of Solomon, which is a book in the Bible about sex and like the good things about it. But that's why when my husband and I got married, like we're like, Okay, yes, we do still believe in the Bible and all of these things, but we don't agree with this point of view on all of it and don't want to raise our children mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. And so we actually went to a church, uh, in Fayetteville when we got here, it, it's called Mana church. And he did a whole series about sex and he's like, stop the stigma about sex. Like sex is supposed oh, to be good. Great. It's supposed to feel good. You're supposed to enjoy it. You're supposed to experiment with your spouse. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and his, his whole sermon was even like, as long as you and your partner agree on it, there is nothing off limits as long as it doesn't involve another person, like biblically. Okay. Yeah. So like, so there's still like boundaries. There's still boundaries of like, yeah, don't bring in a third party to your bedroom for like what? Because it would hurt your marriage is what his sermon was saying. Right. Okay. Because it's supposed to be, yeah, between a couple. So sure. That for us, you know, we're like, yes, this is how we want to teach our kids the Bible. And but also this is not something that we hide from our kids when they ask us. I feel like like age eight kids start asking about that kind of stuff or our kids did at least. And we're like, yep, here's Mm, exactly how earlier than that. Here's exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Not like about sex, but like that person's pregnant. Like, where does the baby come from? You know what I mean? And so we had, you know, age appropriate conversation, but yeah. Well, my, yeah, Yeah. my kids saw my boobs all the time. Well, of course I was always nursing, always feeding one of those, (laughs) those dang kids. So, so yeah, that like the, where the babies come from, but the actual sex talk, I think was like between ages eight and 10 for each one that we kind of, yeah, I guess just from a religious perspective, I, I just don't understand the argument for fighting against nature. Like if it was so taboo. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think a lot of uh, a lot of religion, just in general, and I don't necessarily just the Christian faith. There's religions of all kinds. A lot of them are afraid of sex. They just don't understand it, and so they use control as a way to assert dominance. Because if we allow sex to be like the more natural, similar to how it is in nature, that is really scary and comes with a lot of freedom and desire and those are things that are not uh, promoted within a lot of churches Mm -hmm. and so the easier option is just to squash it all and just be like nope we're not even going to acknowledge that it's too it's too volatile and so we will just put a cap on it and just really really limit it um so, so i will say that uh not not all people will agree with the the pastor, the man of pastor who says that, you know, anything is permitted, they're, they're going to have anything is permitted within uh, a marriage in terms of sexuality, except for bringing in a third. Um, actually, there's nothing in the Bible that prohibits bringing in a third. Like, that's one of the things I knew going K through college, because I know my Bible well. Um, I am not a biblical scholar. I will just say that I am a sex expert. So I, can <laughs> sex say that. Um, I like that. I am a sex expert. Um, but there are people that will, that will argue both ways and all things. Of course. And naturally, right. This is just human nature. And when you bring in religion to anything, it is a really solid, strong belief system. So of course there's going to be different views. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I think my, when I worked, cause I was a sexuality educator before I became a therapist 
And so one of the things that I did, especially when I was talking to parents and coaching them on how to talk to their kids about sex was really decide why you believe what you believe. Mm. If you can do that, you can do that work, then we can easily disseminate that information. But the problem is, is that a lot of people just kind of are spoon fed the information either from their church or from their family, and they don't really take the time to question it. And so then when they're passing along that information, they're like, uh, yeah, just like, this is what we believe, or just don't do this or just whatever. And they don't take the time to question, like, where in the hell did that idea even come from? Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, something I would encourage, I still encourage people to do is, um, and I, and I rarely share my personal beliefs with people because that's not my job. My job is to really be a guide and an educator and facilitator so that people can find their own way. Sure. So what does that look like? People, couples come to you, women, men, who do you work with? Pretty much anybody, predominantly women. I go through phases. Like, it's really funny. Like, I'm like, well, I'm only working with pretty much couples right now. Like, there's like something in the water with marriages um, or um, I'll have an influx of just men or just an influx of women. So it really, most people come to me for non-sexual issues, but they know that because that's my specialty, that that's something that we can bring in and address. Okay. So more of the relationship side of things. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Do you do your sessions virtually or in person? I would, if people want to meet in person, that's great in Germany. I would love that. Well, (laughs) I would say it's kind of a combo. So yes, most of my sessions are um, via Zoom, but I also offer one-on-one concierge retreats. And so that's like basically an intensive weekend where we meet in Amsterdam, Marrakesh, Paris, I don't know, a couple other places. And we just really focus on relationships, sexuality. Um, I call it travel and transform. I also have a small group, uh, one for women that I'm offering in June. So I do offer some in-person things, but the majority of it is just online. What does the June one look like? The June one is a small group of women we meet in Paris. And it is called a sexual empowerment retreat. <laughs> I'm like, you want to go, Caitlin? Yeah, tell me more. It is yeah. going to be freaking amazing. We're, it's like six-ish women. We're staying in an Airbnb in Paris. Um, and we're going to go have lunch in front of the Eiffel Tower. We're going to a Moulin Rouge show. We're going to do coaching and, you know, yoga and talk about, like, it's kind of like an intentional girls trip where if you've ever, you know, if you've been on a trip and you like, gosh, we end up talking about sex, but like this one is like, how do I like get the kind of sex life or how do I get the kind of life that I really have been dreaming of? Or like, how do I connect with pleasure? How do I overcome my body image issues? Like going to a Moulin Rouge show, going to a restaurant afterwards, having a glass of wine, deconstructing all the messages we've been taught about body image and you know, what a perfect woman's body looks like and how that we feel about our own and, and with other like-minded women. That's just like one example. But yeah, that's, that's what the Paris trip looks like. Well, that sounds incredible. That does. And it's funny that you yeah. say that, that, um, you know, like on a girl's trip, sex, I think always comes up on our girl's trip. Always. And everybody <laughs> has such a differing experience. And like, I have friends who are like, yeah, don't, don't touch me. I've had kids all over me all day. Like, I don't want you to snuggle with me because then you think that you're going to get sex. Um, 
Yep. And then I have friends who are like, oh, no, we have sex like every day. And yep. um, we're both like on the same page and we're open and we communicate about it. We have playlists, like all this stuff that comes out. And when you're in like a safe space of women where you don't feel mm -hmm. judged yep. and um, where you can like learn things from other women is such a powerful yeah. thing. And yes, I'm not sure that it's quite crossed the bridge yet of being um, accepted to just like normally talk about sex. Do you feel like, mm, I don't know. I don't, I have a very small circle and that's why I was curious. I was going to ask if these trips are people that all know each other or are they all strangers oh. until they go on the trip? Um, it's usually strangers. It's usually women who sometimes like one woman will like go, go come with her best friend or her sister or whatever, but it's usually like women who want community with other like-minded women and they like don't have that where they're at hmm. and so it which yeah so um I was asked to come facilitate a retreat uh last year I think it was and what the facilitator the other woman was like hey, could you come this week because my mom's gonna be here this week and like I don't want to talk about this stuff in front of her uh, so sure. I was like, yeah absolutely that's that's totally fine like there so there are some people who are like yeah I don't want to go with my friends on this and other people are like oh this is great because then we can you know share this com have this shared common experience and bring it back to our group of friends yeah I think you you could argue it either way that mm -hmm. like maybe yeah. to bring your bestie like you said or like your sister or whatever and then yeah and then strangers I think if if it were all <laughs> couples like other couples that you know may be awkward because then, you know, it's like every time you're around each other, then you'd be like, hmm, wonder what they're doing later. Oh, you think you'd have like a little yeah. questions in your head? I'd like overanalyze everything mm. about all the things and yeah. other couples. But I also don't think women talk about it with each other as much as men do. I mean, because even, you know, your military spouse, like even within that community, they would deploy and I just thought it was so Do you think they're talking about sex though? Like what is your experience with men? Oh, I don't know. I don't either. No. Like you my know, husband is like, no, we never no, just sit around and talk about sex. But no. like the, st the stuff when they're deployed, at least a, a long time ago, um, when they would live in like the big, you know, communal trailers oh, and sure. like Brandon's like, yeah, I'd walk in. There's like porn Por on the TV. For sure. But I don't think they're talking about it. I don't think they're like talking about their sex lives. You to know? me, that is like really right. weird that it's like as a group, they're watching something like that. I don't think Luke ever experienced communal porn watching. Yeah, I don't think my husband's ever experienced that either. Um, <laughs> it's just been Brandon's that. unit. <laughs> or maybe my husband could, just tells me too much. <laughs> could 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 be. I mean, my husband and I are very open. Um, but yeah, I would say that women definitely talk about sex more than men do, especially among friends. Why do you think that is? Uh, I think that sex involve a lot of times involves feeling. If, if you're in a long-term relationship, so. Uh, this is different than like a bunch of 25 year old guys, like talking about who they banged last night, you know? Sure. And I know that that's a stereotype. Not all 25 year old men are like that. Um, but like when you are in a committed long-term relationship, typically marriage, you know, like there's this, like, what are we going to talk about? Like, uh, like how she enjoys it or like how you enjoy it. Like men uh, don't typically have the tools to know how to communicate with other men about sensitive subjects and sex is absolutely one of those 
Whereas women, it is socially acceptable for women to typically complain about their male partners wanting sex when they're exhausted. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, and the, so then if, the biggest thing that I hear in different friend mm-hmm. circles, right? Like they're these friends aren't yeah. even friends with these friends, but it's the same type of complaints. Yes. Whereas men, because it's seen as men typically being the ones with the higher, quote, sex drive, um, they don't typically want to be like, yep, got rejected by my wife again last night. All right. right. High five. Who's up? You know, like there's that image uh, and that ego that people don't want to talk about. And then they, what a lot of men don't know how to sit with those feelings of like, if another man came to me, I was like, dude, like my marriage, like our sex life is shit. And a lot of men are like, that's unfortunate for you. Like right. what, they don't have the skills to, to say anything. Whereas with, when women, you know, complain about their sex life, they're like, oh yeah, me too. Like, oh, I hate this. And right. Like we do a good job of like socializing around uh, c- complaining, I guess you could say. Um, and not that that's good or bad. It just is. And we're much more comfortable talking about our feelings and being vulnerable and just have that skill set in our toolbox that a lot of men don't have. So when you work with clients about sex, um, do Mm -hmm. you separate sex and intimacy? Do you coach them on all of it being together? Because what Caitlin was saying, like, you know, if I'm like snuggling up as I do it to Caitlin, if I'm snuggling up (laughs) on my husband and rubbing his arm, he's going to be like, Ooh, she's wanting something when really I'm just needing like physical intimacy, physical Mm -hmm. affection, but I'm like, but it's cold and I don't really want to, Yeah, I don't really feel like taking this further tonight or I'm just tired, but I still just need that physical touch and affection. So Mm -hmm. how do you like, how many people come talk about that and how do you kind of address those things? Yeah, I think you, you have to talk about sex and intimacy and communication. I love talking about what I term sexpectations. And that's literally just expectations around sex. And so I think there are a lot of times women overestimate the amount of sex that men want and men underestimate the amount of sex that women want. Mm. And so that when we actually sit down and talk about like, well, what, like, what does it look like for your needs to be met? And then what does it look like for you to like, want to get those needs met? Like the second part of the question, um, that's when we have some really interesting conversations. I think when I work with couples, especially using that example, we start to shift out of it into a different paradigm of, you know, the purpose of physical affection and the timing of physical affection, since we've already had this conversation around expectations. But yeah, a lot of times, you know, we have to let go of like how we've been doing things, because obviously, if you most people by the time they come to me, things are real bad. Um, and so what it's not working. So we have to figure out a different way that it is working and create something that works for the the individuals and the couple. Why do you think people don't openly communicate with their partners about sex? Because they don't feel safe. Emotionally safe. Usually hundred percent. Yes. Yes. Very, 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 very rarely is it physical safety, but a lot of times we are not taught how to talk about things that feel uncomfortable. And then we don't know it, the, this simplest answer is it's because we don't feel safe. We don't feel like I can come to you and tell you that like, I 
want to share like a desire that I have with you, but I'm afraid that you're going to react in a way that makes me feel ashamed. And that makes me feel guilty for wanting that. And so because of that, I'm going to repress that. But then the problem with repression is that erodes parts of our relationships and parts of ourselves. And that spills over into other aspects of our relationship. And so if we don't feel safe and supported emotionally, then it prevents that ability to communicate effectively. So that's part one. Part two is we're not good at awkward conversations. So if you did not grow up or you did not acquire the skills to talk about things like death and sex and religion and politics in a respectful way, that is also where you're able to articulate your own beliefs, then it's going to be a really awkward, most likely defensive conversation. Yeah. Well, I think that there's, I would imagine a lot of people come to you because they're not having the sex life that they want. But in order to say that to your partner is super vulnerable. And you know that on the other side of that, they will likely feel shame and guilt and not good enough. Um, so to say like, Hey, I'd really like to do this thing in the bedroom, or I'd really like for you to initiate more. Like, is it because you're not into Mm -hmm. me? Is it there? There's always a tinge of like, yeah, I'm going to need you to do something different. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And we take that personally, right? We make it attack on ourselves, which is interesting because if you think about it, like if I made you, I don't know, spaghetti, for example, and I brought it to you and you're like, yeah, I like this. Like maybe next time we could just use like a little bit more garlic or a little bit like maybe the noodles (laughs) are just a teeny bit overdone. Like most people are like, oh my gosh, like you hate me. Like I'm so ugly. And like, you have you just been like (laughs) faking it the whole time that you like it? Like we're like, wow, that escalated quickly. No, people don't do that when it comes to cooking, but when it comes to sex, that's what happens. Yeah. It's because it's their body, you know? And it's it's like, yeah, it's their body and and the choices they're made. Like, I mean, this is a completely different comparison, but just like, you know, within my field, voice lessons are completely different than piano lessons (laughs) or dance is completely different than something. It's because it's your physical body and how your body is performing. And so many people grow up, you know, like you, like you're saying with body image issues, when you're working with clients and you know, they have children, do you give them advice on like, how to kind of break these cycles and how to communicate with their children so that their children also grow up comfortable? Like, like I see your children are in the car with you and you're like, yeah, we're going to talk about sex. Like it's no problem. Like, oh, well, they're not in the car now. My son was, he's 10, but he's, oh, okay. he's <laughs> like, yeah, I'm not his, his foosball practice. I mean, my kids are 10, uh, 13 and 15 now. And, okay. But I mean, yeah, like, would I, would I be talking to this in, about this in front of them without swearing? Yes, I would. Um, because I think that this is something that I want them to know that sex is a very complex and convoluted and beautiful and amazing thing, but it, it is so much more than just two bodies working together, especially mm-hmm. in a long-term relationship. So going back to your question, um, yes, if, if, I'm working with somebody and they have kids. Absolutely. I would love to include that. That's something that I ask if they're interested in. Um, But honestly, kids see the difference. So you can tell them all day long, but what they're going to do is watch how you behave. So if you tell them like, it's really important that you love your body and that you give it affirmations every day 
and all they see is you like looking at yourself disgusted in the mirror or grabbing your fat or being like, oh, I'm going to diet again. It's not going to matter what you tell them. They see what you do. That is the best example of, or the best thing that you can do is to be the example for your kids. So if you're in a marriage, I mean, I have friends who are in a marriage and they physically will recoil at the like the touch of their partner mm-hmm. because they are so miserable in that marriage. Of course, your kids feel that. Of course, they see that. Like you can tell them that your dad and I are happy all day that you want to. They feel that and they see that. And that makes a subconscious like little pathway in their brain of like, okay, like that's what marriage is. Marriage is fighting or marriage is avoiding or marriage is, you know, kissing or being affectionate or it's loving or it's going away. Like they see how you prioritize and how you live out your values. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about the generational thing too, like I feel like our parents' generation is you have to give this image on the outside that everything is, oh, is perfect. Yes. But it, I think yes. it carries over into the household because my husband and I talk about this all the time. We're like, our parents never told us the stuff that they did. Like we tell our kids, we're like, yeah, we did this. We did that. We tried these things. We tried that. Here's like what? A, um, like drinking or sex or anything. Like everything was just always painted as this perfect picture, mm. you know, like his we'll find out stuff about Brandon's parents and we're like, he did what? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's like, (laughs) like he never, you know, he's a Southern Baptist pastor. Like, and you know, his sister, still a human, still a human, but his sister will tell us stuff. And we're like, why did he never tell us that? And Brandon's like, well, yeah. (laughs) And Brandon's like, I wish that he would have told me that instead of like telling me I was doing something wrong, but being saying like, Hey, I've been in your shoes. I have been there. Here's, what I did, maybe you want to try it this way, but like, I feel like being open with our kids about the things that did work for us, didn't work for us, things that we regret or things that maybe we don't regret because they turned us into who we are today. Like, it's important to tell your kids that stuff. And the gen, your parents are a little bit different. I think I know I'm like trying to but <laughs> piece it all together. Also here, like it, you know, and you're from California, so that's a little different too, but sure. here in the Bible belt where our parents raised us, it was this perfect image of like, yes, we are the perfect parent, even though they didn't say that, but like, we never made these mistakes. Mm-hmm. We just grew up perfectly. And this is how you should grow up too. Mm-hmm. And Do you it- think that was simply just to like protect and Like, obviously, I think they thought they were doing what was best by not sharing it, Um, but just kind of keeping it under wraps so they didn't give ideas or like, you know what I mean? I think it's that they kind of feel like if they talk about it, it makes it acceptable. Yes. And not just like just being open about it. And the other thing that I think is really important is to have the discussions and arguments and disagreements with your spouse. You can tell me if this is wrong, but (laughs) this is what I think. Um, in front of your kids, like we argue in front of our kids because we want them or not argue, but have disagreements. We want them to learn how to disagree, how to resolve it and Mm -hmm. see that it's normal because, you know, I mean, I grew up with a single mom, so I didn't see that in my house. I don't, I didn't know how to argue. I didn't know how to address conflict with a spouse because I never saw an example of it. So we feel like it's important to show our kids that example, but we could also be really screwing our kids up. (laughs) (laughs) Aren't we all? Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, we, we really all are. Yeah. I'm like, man, I'm, I hope my kids have a great therapist one day. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, I mean, no matter what you do and how it. intentional we are, we fuck them up somehow, right? Like it's just yeah. unavoidable because we're human. But I think yeah. I would imagine you can do that if it works for your family, as long as it is a healthy way of disagreeing in a respectful way. You know what I mean? Cause mm-hmm. if it's not, then yeah. it's like, fuck absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're not like throwing things at, yeah. <laughs> at each other. Yeah. It's just, we're having this discussion <laughs> argument, even if it's about intimacy, but like you said, our kids can see it. Cause if we're mad at each other, we're not intimate. Like my husband is a butt slapper, butt grabber. Mm-hmm. And our kids are going to notice if yeah. he's not doing that to me when I'm <laughs> cooking yeah. dinner and stuff like that. So I'm sure they pick up on that yeah. for sure. Yeah, I think as long as it is, yeah, that that's the thing that people don't realize too about so many things, sex included, is that it's a skill. And so communicating, disagreeing, conflict resolution, those are all skills. And a lot of those things we learn through our childhood and when we grow up. And so if you have modeled conflict resolution and you know that it's safe to, to disagree with somebody that you love and it's safe to like share and like, nope, I don't agree with that. Okay. Like, it's okay. Like you don't have to agree on everything. Like, it's funny. My, my husband and I grew up in very different communication style families. My parents pretty much fought all the time, like would yell at each other almost daily. Like that's how conflict was solved. And his parents, I don't think he, he ever saw his parents fight. Like they would shut that conflict down so fast. And so he never learned. So when we got married, like I would like blow up and be like, we're talking about this now. And he's like, and I'm done. Right. Because he never, I mean, we got married at young because in the church you get married at 21 and 22. And so we never had attained, obtained those skills because we, it was never modeled for us. Mm-hmm. I kind of like the idea of getting married young. Cause then you learn it together, you know, and you work through it together. Hopefully. Hopefully. Or you don't. <laughs> or and you then don't. you're not married I was just anymore. Say, it's a, Exactly. It, it really depends on the intention. Like, I mean, we, a lot of the people that I grew up with got married because they could have sex because otherwise you were sinning and God was going to punish you and you're basically going to hell. And so a lot, I mean, that's one of the reasons I got married young is because, you know, I look back and I was like, if, if sex outside of marriage was acceptable, like would I have just lived with him before, you know, deciding mm-hmm. like at 21 years old, like this is who you want to be with for the rest. Like your prefrontal cortex isn't even done forming until you're 20 freaking four. Like how in God's name is that a good choice people? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Sorry. A lot of thoughts on that. Yeah. I see it both ways. I got married at 23. You got married at what? 20? 20. Yeah. Um, both still married to the same people, but it's gone through so many evolutions, at least for us that I'm like, we are not the same people we were when we got married. Thank God that we grew in somewhat of a together linear fashion. Um, and it wasn't always easy. And there was like some rocky times where it was like, maybe this isn't going to work out, but, um, Mm -hmm. you know, better for it now and have learned and amended so many things along the way that I still have to consciously do in, you know, conflict and stuff. I'm like, Nope, don't respond that way, which is your knee jerk reaction (laughs) of how to respond, like, which is really hard to do when you're in fight or flight, you know? Um, So, yeah, I'd love to hear just some of the things that uh, there's got to be like typical patterns, right? And mm-hmm. what people come to you for. I would love to hear if you could just share a little bit about some of the typical things that people come to you for and like what it looks like to, 
to process that? Yeah, so right now I have a lot of women uh, and couples specifically who are like midlife. They've been married for 10, 15 years and are like, this cannot be it. 20, 20 years. Is this? Yeah, I just celebrated 19. So good job. Good job. Congratulations, (laughs) guys. Yeah. Good job. Um, But a lot of them are like, is this it? And so what happens is the patterns that I see are we get married young. We don't really have lots of tools in our toolbox. We pump out some kids. We really focus on building a family. Typically, the woman, the wife will start to do some self-help and develop some emotional intelligence and then wants that from her partner. And her husband is unable to give that to her because he doesn't have the emotional intelligence skills. And so then there feels like there's this disconnect. And the wife is like, I want more. I want better sex. I want to do the things that bring me joy. I just want more from life than just being a mom or just doing the nine to five or just staying at home or whatever it is that they're doing. And they feel this disconnect is the best way from their partners. And almost like, I don't like, do I stay? Do I go? Or can we grow together? And so then the husband is typically like blindsided at this point because they're like, well, I don't understand. It just seems like out of the blue, like she doesn't want to have sex anymore. She doesn't want to do this. And she's like becoming her own person. And so a lot of times I deal with women who feel that disconnect in a lot of their relationships, but definitely their relationship with themselves. Like they have started that self-awareness journey of wanting more and wanting to invest in themselves and to get more out of life. And they don't know how to do that. And they don't know what that looks like, especially when it feels in conflict with their marriage. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you look at historically evolution, all that, whatever you believe, but men and women were made differently. Our brains are completely different. They go off, they hunt, they have to primarily focus on like, you know, I'm going to get that deer. And that's the only thing I'm focused on where we're like, okay, we're gathering here are berries. There's the kids. We've got to get all the things. We've got to focus on all the things and be all the things. And then I think probably around the 50s, 60s sexual revolution came along and we were like, oh no, we need you guys to join us here in this emotional space and Mm -hmm. started somewhat expecting that men could meet us on that, that emotional level, which mm-hmm. I think has probably come a long way, but also isn't necessarily completely realistic. Um, I, I think that we still need to look at the fact that like, nope, our brains do work very differently and we can kind of like amend things on either side, but have to still understand like my brain doesn't work the way his brain works and vice versa. Well, and also for our community, like with the soft community, what you were just saying, I see as the opposite in our marriage. And it's because he's been so focused on career, so focused on that for so long. And now you're getting out of the army and you're 100% disabled and you're going to all this therapy. You're doing all this introspection. And I'm like, now it's my time to work and I'm going to do all these things and I'm going to do this. So like in our kind of situation and what we're seeing from talking to other community or other couples coming out of the soft community. Um, the, in case people don't know what that is like special operations community. Um, that is, seems to be a common trend for all of them. So almost Mm -hmm. like 
the sure. opposite role of what you just described. Yeah. Whereas like the women were kind of like stuck in that for so long and now they're trying to focus on their careers now that their husbands are home, but the husbands <laughs> have this other expectation. So it's kind of right. this opposite thing yeah. going on. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and it, it, I totally realize that that's a generalization. Like sometimes, yes, it is the opposite sex partner that like, but there is usually one on each end, right? right. There, it's, there's not usually somebody who's like, or a couple that's, they're both doing really well at doing the work and they're at the same place. There's usually this discrepancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're not, it, it's not like soft people are common people. They're not normal. Yeah. <laughs> that, that wouldn't fall into what you <laughs> see on average, yeah. unless you're working with mostly those people. Yeah. Yeah. So is, is it realistic to think that you would ever fully be on the same page? Like I think yes. in terms of like, um, sexual desire, right? Like, mm-hmm. Is there a way for you to say like, okay, so my partner wants to have sex three times a week and I want to have sex Mm -hmm. six times a week. Like Mm -hmm. how do you come to the same page on that? Four and a half. (laughs) (laughs) That half, that means nobody goes like there's just one person, (laughs) just one person goes. Okay. Um, But how do you, what does it look like to facilitate people getting on the same page then? So it starts with one understanding, why do they have sex? Like, what's the purpose of sex in your relationship? So that's one of the things that we look at. What, why are we having sex? And then why are, why are we not, why are you guys not having the amount of sex that the higher desire person wants? And really looking at it, a lot of times it's because the person with the lower desire is not having the kind of sex that they want to be having. That's probably the hardest thing for anybody to talk about. A hundred percent. But that's why I said, is it real? When you ask, is it realistic? Yes. That does not mean it's easy. Yeah. And that's once that, that is one thing I tell my couples any, that is literally the disclaimer I will say, because a lot of times couples come to me by the time, like their marriage is like in the shithole. And so I'm like, okay, well, this is going to take some work. But I said, if you want the easy way out, call a divorce lawyer. If you want to save this, you want to fix this, you want to create something beautiful and amazing that works for your family, whatever that looks like, because really I have no judgment. We've created all different kinds of relationship situations and made them successful. I said, it's going to take a lot of time, energy, and money. If you are not motivated to do that, you're wasting your time and you're wasting my time. I'm not interested. Mm. And people are like, oh, okay. And so I'm not interested in not having hard conversations with couples. And if you want to change your sex life, if you want to get on the same page, that's one of the questions that we have to ask. And if you are not willing to do that, then you're not willing to do the work and you're going to continue to have uh, conflict and resentment and all of the things. So once you start getting into those conversations, is there, are they only in the beginning, maybe talking about sex with you? Um, it depends. Like I rarely will prohibit couples from having conversations unless they're so unproductive. Um, like again, because they don't have the tools, it's kind of like, I'm not going to have somebody go to the gym and like do a bunch of like squats if they have no idea how to do that. Like Mm -hmm. you're, you're actually doing more harm. 
So unless you know how to do a good squat, unless you know how to communicate respectfully, and I give couples like a script and tools to like communicate uh, pr productively and respectfully, uh, then yes, like eventually it starts to become less awkward and it becomes more natural and they're able to do that more on their own because my goal is never for dependency. I don't, I don't want you to come back to me like years and years and years. Like I want to empower you and equip you so that you can have this and then come back and check on like, like an oil change. Like, Hey, we're going to come and check every three months just so that even though we feel like things are good, we just want to keep a relationship checkup and make sure that we're on the same page still and that we don't get to the point where we're like on the verge of divorce. Like the, the analogy that I use is it's a lot easier to lose five pounds than it is to lose a hundred pounds. And it's going to, it's a lot less time, money, and energy to lose five pounds than it is a hundred pounds. But the problem is, is that couples usually wait till they're a hundred pounds overweight before they start to take action or they wait till somebody like I'm, I'm, I filed for divorce or I'm going to go file for divorce. And at that point, that is really hard to reverse because I always say I can work with hate. I can work with resentment. I can work with jealousy. I cannot work with apathy. So if you are checked out, I can't help you. Like mm. there's nothing to work with there. We're fortunate in our marriage are very communicative about this. I thought you were about to say like, we have very good sex. <laughs> I don't know that I need, if, if I need to share. No, we're very communicative about this. And I think part of it is just having, we spent such long periods of time away from each other. Mm. And then we would only get mm. short periods of time. So it's like, you got to make the most of it. And So you'd be openly communicative about what you like, didn't like, want, don't want. Right. And, and for us, our biggest discourse is like, like you're saying, for women, it's more emotional. And I think a lot of times it's more of a mind thing. Heck, even my pastor was like, sometimes it's just biological for men sure, and women too. But, you know, you just do it. But for like for us, I don't mind sharing this. It's more about like, um, I'm like, I got to be in the right headspace. I got to chill for the night. I got to stop thinking about these things because it's hard for me to be in the moment if I'm like ping, 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 mm -hmm. ping with all these other things mm -hmm. going on in my brain. And yet he's like, I want the spontaneous you know, wake up in the morning and I'm like, I right. had my coffee kind of thing where I'm like, I want to wind down for the night, you know, stop worrying about all the other things that I've had to worry about for the day. I don't have to worry about the kids walking in. I don't have to worry about this. I don't like, and that is a common like argument or disagreement, if you will. We don't really argue about it, but mm -hmm. discussion and communication within hours, because it's like, well, why is that the last thing on the list for mm, the day? The last priority. Right. Mm -hmm. And it, and for me, it's not the last priority. I'm prioritizing it by saying, I want to make sure that I can give you all of me. And it's really hard for me to mm -hmm. do that. And so for me, that's like, okay, what tools can I have to be able to like, but you know, men can just cut stuff off in their brain and women like just aren't as good at that. And I'm not at least like just cutting the other think, things off. Yeah. I think it, it we've also been, conditioned and socialized like that plays a, a big role too you know I, I personally don't think that if I think if men and boys and girls were raised the same especially when it came to messaging around sex that women would want sex just as much as men and honestly it's not studies show that it's not that women don't want sex less than men but we don't want shitty sex and so we're we are not interested in putting out for shit sex and so that's a big distinction 
that a lot of men don't like hearing. Mm. That's even hard for like me to hear. And I talk about sex like it's like no big deal with that. Basically everybody, not everybody, <laughs> but like, you know, Luke and I have great. Hi, little three-year-old. I know. What a psycho. Today. <laughs> not with everybody. Okay. She owns a school. Yeah. No, with like my girlfriends or, um, yeah, not with everybody reverse. Um, uh, but Luke and I have very open discussions about sex and, um, over the years, like what we're into, what we're not into, like, eh, yeah, take that mm-hmm. or leave it, whatever. Um, but still to think about saying something that was like, um, could hurt his feelings, like gives me like, Ugh, like, I don't want to do that. Like, you know what I mean? I, even in the, to the point of like, you know, don't do that again. (laughs) You know, like how does one say that? How does one say what? Like, how do you even open a conversation to say, to even talk about sex or like, I didn't like that. (laughs) Right. Which I think you can say in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I actually just posted about this on Instagram, um, about like how so one, I think it's important to first identify where to talk to them. So if you don't feel comfortable, like sitting down, like right across from each other, uh, I highly recommend bringing up sex or like uh, topics around sex when you're going for a walk or when somebody is driving or when somebody's doing the dishes, because then there's like a mild, like autopilot distraction that allows the discomfort to kind of be almost muted in a way. Um, because when you're sitting across from somebody and you're like, literally like, I cannot look somewhere else. Like, this is awful. I don't want to ever do this again. You feel like you're on trial, but if I have the ability to like look around or look out the window or like focus on scrubbing a dish and formulate a response that feels a lot safer. So that's thinking about, there's actually really important. some studies on that, um, with men specifically and boys I've read, um, of boys and men, he talks about it and that even as infants, boys will not keep eye contact for very long as opposed to, um, girls will keep eye contact for much longer. And it didn't really go into Mm -hmm. why, but it was, it did talk about like when you're talking to your boys, sit side by side where they don't have to keep this eye contact with you all the time, where they can be doing something else and still listening. So that's, that's very interesting. So that's part A. Part B is how to talk to them. And there's lots of different ways. One of my favorite ways is to use what I call a buffer. And so this is in like external information that you introduce into a conversation Mm -hmm. in order to lessen the personalization of it. So let me break that down. So let's say somebody listens to this podcast and they share it with their spouse. They're like, hey, because they want to talk to them about sex or communication or open marriages or toys or whatever it is, right? But they don't feel comfortable doing it. So they'll use something external like, hey, I was listening to She's the Boss podcast and they were talking about blah, blah, blah. What do you think about that? I'm not saying, oh, I really want to do X or I really wish that you would be a better blah, blah, blah about this because that feels too in your face. That feels too critical. That feels too maybe vulnerable. And so I could use a podcast, an article, friends who are in, you know, maybe a specific situation to buffer that uh, conversation and the message of whatever it is I'm trying to convey. I love this so much. 
I do this for almost everything. <laughs> Give <laughs> just, the buffer. Yeah, just to open the conversation. Even though maybe I don't know exactly what how I feel about whatever it is yet, but it's mm-hmm. like something that came yeah. into my purview that we I just would like to discuss. I love that. I think yeah. that's such an easy way just to lead into a conversation without just because how like hostile does it feel when somebody's like, hey, I need to talk to you about <laughs> our sex last night. Uh, <laughs> like I'd be like, what yeah. the fuck? Like, mm-hmm. don't say that to me. Yeah. I'd immediately shut it down yeah. and think to myself like, oh, yeah. oh, my God, what did I do? I'm not good enough. I didn't do what they wanted to do, whatever it was. Like I would immediately yeah. shut down. Nobody likes that. Yeah. And this carries over, yeah. like you're saying, outside of sex, mm-hmm. you know, just any conversation. Mm-hmm. If you say, hey, I anything, need- anything. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any other like great like takeaways that you could something that you're like, I always say this and people act like it's this big epiphany that people can take away from listening to this? Um, Gosh, I mean, I think it's important to also know, like, if you have never talked to your partner about sex, it's going to be awkward. Like, and just embrace the awkwardness. Like, it's just like when you haven't talked to your kids ever about sex or death or whatever, those initial conversations are going to be awkward. It's just like riding a bike or um, like I learned to ski a few years ago, man, that was awkward as fuck. Like I just kept falling down over and over again. Like, and these little 10 year olds are going, yeah, but like you get back up and you keep trying or you get back up and you keep trying and it gets easier and easier. So I would really give yourself some grace and give your relationship some grace as you start to have like converse, like vulnerable, honest conversations that you're not used to having, you're not going to be awesome at it. It's going to be uncomfortable. You're going to hurt each other's feelings. Like, but really try to come back to the fact that like, we're a team and we're investing in our relationship and we value each other enough to bring this really hard topic up. And just to clarify, you recommend people go to therapy for this, even if they don't even see that there's a problem. Yeah, I think that every, I mean, and not, it doesn't have to be therapy. It can be coaching. It can be a pastor. It could be a mentor. It can be a therapist, whatever. I think that people benefit from objective outside mm-hmm. expertise that can feed into their life. And so if that is something that you value and you're like, you know what, like, I really respect so-and-so and I really want to like connect with them and see what they have to like offer our relationship to see what can like make it better. Yeah. Why, why would you not do that? Mm-hmm. Do you notice a difference being over there in Germany and working with people? Cause in Europe, I mean, sex and exposure and all of that is just more open. I feel like than it is here. Yeah. I mean, it depends. A majority of my clients are still American. Um, I mean, I have a few European clients, but you know, they still struggle with, you know, like how to talk to their partners about sex. So yes, sex is something that is open. Um, and it's normalized body image, you know, bodies are normalized here and they're not as sexualized as they are in the U S but sex is still a topic that a lot of people don't know how to talk about. They don't know how to talk about pleasure or desire or when there's a discrepancy within partnerships of like, man, I want it all the time and my partner never wants it. Like, how do I reconcile that? You know, that, that's something that regardless of the culture is still a really difficult thing to navigate. Do you think as you, as couples start to kind of dive into this and if they're not, you know, one person has more desire than the other, is it going to get worse before it gets better? 
ask that again. I'm sorry. I didn't understand. In terms of like, you know, so somebody comes to you and they're like not having Mm -hmm. sex and Okay. Let's say the woman is like, oh, I want, you know, again, I want to have sex six times a week. And he's like, eh, take it or leave it three times a week or whatever. Um, I would imagine that maybe it's going to get worse before it gets better because you're going to have to have some shitty conversations. Yeah, I think it depends. Like, uh, yes, there's a lot of conversations that we would have. And one of those is the relationship style. Like, why do you have sex? Why do you only have sex with each other? What does, what is the purpose of sex in your relationship? Like, I mean, when I work with couples, we go through all of it. Like, it is not like a, well, you're just, because like when I was uh, in training to be a therapist, it was like, you basically, the lower desire partner won. Like that's the, the lowest common denominator mm-hmm. is what happened. The, the higher desire had to suck it up. And that's basically what I told couples for a lot of years. It's like, well, we could try to, but the bottom line is, and now I approach it much differently. And so we really examine sex and relationship and like the whole gamut. Um, and just like, pu- like pull it back. We lay it completely bare to really try to understand the role that sex plays and what it means and the relationship style and all of that. So yeah, it does get um, with anything, you know, like sometimes there's some setbacks, but I think that for the most, most of the time, couples feel liberated to be Mm. able to have really honest conversations. And that is when you feel freedom in your relationship, holy shit, it is a game changer. It is a game changer. Yeah. I think that comes from, um, perhaps separating yourself from your beliefs a little bit and saying, like you said, like, why do I believe it's this way? Or why do I think that this is maybe shameful or, Oh, I really into this thing and this turns me on, but also I feel a little nervous about that because why does that thing turn me on? But I think when you can separate yourself and say like, Oh, well, this is just a thing I think or believe or whatever, and be open and honest about it and just see how it's received hopefully you've built enough trust within your partner that, you know, it can feel somewhat safe. And even if it isn't entirely safe, it opens up the dialogue at least a little bit. So there's like a little pinprick hole in there that you can kind of keep trickling some things in. But I do think it takes a lot of courage to do that. Absolutely. And yes, I, I have a person in my life who wants to do who wants to introduce something into her marriage and is really, really struggling because it requires a lot of courage. And she's really afraid that her husband's going to not only say no, but like have a very adverse reaction to it. And so, yeah, she's really scared. And the, and the bottom line is like, in order to create the life that you want, you have to be brave. Mm-hmm. Like that's just the bottom line. You have to be willing to put yourself out there to be rejected, to have the hard conversations the universe rewards the brave. Great yeah. risk comes with great reward, right? Great reward yeah. takes great yeah. risk. Yeah. Whatever that saying is. I assume yeah. that most of the exercises are first about building trust between each other before it's like, hey, I want you to go home and have sex six times this week. <laughs> like it's yeah. the homework assignments are not just, it starts with no. the trust issue, not a number of times of I, sex. <laughs> I mean, it depends on what the issue of the marriage is. Like Mm -hmm. a lot of times couples aren't having good sex or like sex uh, 
infrequency is usually a symptom of a larger relationship issue. Hmm. And they, a lot of people don't realize that. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I could absolutely see yeah. that. Like they think, they think, Oh, they, especially men, they're like, just fix the sex stuff. Right. Everything's better. And I'm like, <laughs> I got to fix this stuff and the sex stuff will get better. Yeah. <laughs> it's an onion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious yeah. about things that may be societally taboo that people share with mm-hmm. you um, and probably have some shame around that they want to introduce in their marriage or they're interested in whatever it is, like an open marriage oh, or yeah. a third or toys or whatever it is. And how common you probably see that versus what people who yeah. don't, talk about sex think is happening. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I did a post on this recently um, and how, you know, like this perfect image of like what a lot of people see and then like what I see, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, it's just, it's, it's humorous. I'm like, Oh, that's fun. But that's not the truth. Like, um, yeah, I'd say I see a lot like non-monogamy is really, I I don't like the word popular, but it is very um, at the forefront right now of a lot of relationships And so that's something that I see a lot of couples discussing, considering doing. And what, um, what is the thought process behind that? Because I'm sure you would ask like, okay, well, what does that do for your relationship or why do you want that? Or, you know, yeah. So non-monogamy is an umbrella term and under non-monogamy is different like spokes. So like polyamory, swinging, open, those are just some of the examples. So yeah, like anytime somebody wants to introduce anything, even if it's vanilla, like, lingerie like we I always am like what where does that come from what is the purpose of that what are you hoping to gain from this you know those kind of things and and that goes for non-monogamy going to uh starting you know introducing BDSM those kind of concepts so yeah I mean there is there is no such thing as a normal marriage that it does not exist like the arrangements that couples have within their are so vast and so non-traditional, like it would literally like just blow your mind, but nobody talks about it. Nobody talks about it. And so that's something that I really am passionate about is bringing those conversations and normalizing them of like, do whatever freaking works. Like who cares? Like it, as long as you're both on the same page, you're both consenting, we're not harming anybody else. Like just be honest because what happens is that people feel shame. They don't bring it up. So then they cheat or they do the stuff behind their back or they repress it. And then they become angry or they, and they numb it through drinking or shopping or overworking. And it's going to affect you regardless, whether you're hiding it or not, or doing it or not. Hmm. Yeah, I know. And I think some of it has come to the forefront a little bit more recently, mm-hmm. um, but still I think it's completely taboo. And there's, I mean, there's people that I know who have recently shared some stuff with me that I'm like, oh my gosh, I just had, would never have even guessed, guessed you know, and not, I don't absolutely pass any judgment, whatever works for you. And like you said, it's not harming somebody. Everyone is consensual, like do whatever works for your life. It doesn't affect me, whether you have sex, don't have sex, have a third. I don't care. Like, you know what I mean? It doesn't change my life. Well, and that's what, and that's what a lot of people don't realize. Like they don't, they're so afraid of that judgment, but that has been the response for most people is when they share with their friends or their family and they're like, I don't care. Like you're not, you're not hitting on me or you're not inviting me or you're not doing whatever, like do what you want to do. Yeah. Like you're still the same person. It just, 
Yeah. So it is so interesting. Like I'm thinking to myself, you said lingerie and I'm like, I love a good dress up. Like I love a good lingerie because I'm like, I like to be like fun like that, you know? <laughs> and Luke's like, just get naked. Mm-hmm. I, this doesn't really do anything yeah. for me. Just get naked. This is probably TMI. Actually, nothing's TMI for me, but, um, <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, so then do I do it? Do I not do it? Because it gives something to me, but not him. So it's like, how do you, and this is like a really trivial, um, example but like how do you then like reconcile we have the same lingerie issue but mine's the opposite he's like i wish you wear lingerie Uh more and then i like wait and i don't because i'm like well i don't want to do it now because now he's gonna think i'm only doing it because he said he wanted me to (laughs) because i you know overanalyze it he's not gonna care nope he's not gonna care he's not even thinking about the last conversation you had about lingerie all he's thinking about is a deliciousness in this and that's (laughs) That's what he wants. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is, there, there's no right answer. I would say if it feels good for you and that puts you in a better mood, like he's going to benefit from it. So yes, like if he doesn't care if you wear lingerie, but it makes you feel good and it enhances your experience. If he's opposed to lingerie, that's a different conversation. Sure. But since he doesn't care, I would always default to do it, do what makes you feel good. So I'm going to bring up something super uncomfortable and hard. Well, it won't make me uncomfortable. Okay. Okay. Well, Sorry. because I'm, Don't I'm thinking to too about what your, what your dad, you know, dealt with and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. What if yeah. people come to you and say something super extreme that is definitely not okay and illegal? What do you yeah, have to that's do? That's different though. Uh, what do I have to do? Mm-hmm. Do you have to you like, like as a... Like I'm not a, th- a mandated reporter. Okay. I was I'm, not, I'm not a therapist anymore. I'm not licensed. So I, I am very upfront. Like I am a trained therapist. I have been a licensed therapist, but I do, I'm more, I'm on the coaching side now. So I'm not a mandated reporter. Okay. Um, but Way to bring obviously if that comes up, I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, that's fine. It's that's part of the conversation. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I, people, I have not had that come up in my practice ever. Um, And I think that that could also be just the type of people that I attract uh, in terms of me working with them. I'm a very no nonsense. Like I, I'm an encourager. I use humor. I'm fun, but I get straight to the point. I'm a straight shooter. I like it. And I'm like, and, and, and that's great for some people and other people like I, I need somebody slower, more peaceful who wants to hold my hand. I'm like, that's not me. I, I hope you find somebody that, that works for you. Yeah. Well, and I assume the the therapists that see those people are like the ones that have to go to prison <laughs> to see those people and deal with those things. The people that are coming to you are coming to you because they want to work on their marriage and work on yes, that aspect. Exactly. So you're not seeing yes. that other side. I guess for me. I'm not seeing pedophiles. No. Yeah. Yeah. For me, that's like one of my husband's like strong anger things is, you know, children being taken advantage of and that industry and that whole thing. Um, and you know, one of his, like, if I could take care of all of this in the world, I would Mm -hmm. (laughs) kind of thing. And so, yeah, yeah. He's a pretty hardcore operation underground railroad, huge heart person. Um, so, so yeah, I always kind of think about, those aspects of it. And, and that's, I think why I get uncomfortable with like, 
blurred lines of definitions because I'm very black Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. Enneagram one, Mm -hmm. (laughs) very black and white about some of this stuff. So, you know, and, and just with my core values and beliefs, I'm like, nope, it should be between a man and a woman. And I think as soon as you blur that line, it's like, well, then do you, does it start blurring with the age of the other person? And does it blur with this? And so for me, I'm just like, well, just because one thing blurs doesn't mean another thing would blur. Right. It's just, if you look at the history of society and how that, you know, some, some groups are trying to normalize it and make it okay. And that brings up the whole thing of consent, right? Reading again, reading this book of, um, Mm -hmm. uh, the argument against the sexual revolution, I think is what it's called. Um, but the, the pendulum being all the way over, let's just say to the left of a very, very liberal idea of like, okay, consent, as long as you can consent and nobody gets hurt, then is it okay? And so she brings up this thing, this, this very controversial, I think professor talks about is like, okay, well, if you go get a whole chicken and you bring that chicken home and you have sex with the chicken, is it okay? <laughs> like, but it goes into that. Right. But then it's like, okay. And then where does that line stop? There's illegal things that you can't do, right? But it's like, again, yeah, right. blurry lines of like, okay, but that meets the terms of like nobody nobody gets hurt, harm, is harmed from that. Well, do, you know? I mean, in the sexuality field, I would say that the majority of us as professionals believe that animals cannot give consent. Like they're not of the mind to give that. So, well, I mean, I, I isn't it illegal? Is. Not that people do things yes, that is. aren't illegal. It's beats- bestiality is illegal yes yeah but like that's even if it wasn't like a lot of us sexuality professionals are like you can't give consent to that sure like that's you're so you are harming something then because they're not able to give consent sure Mm -hmm. i think that would be generally my belief as well but you know (laughs) the pendulum swings every which way and that's why i think this topic is so fascinating because it's so intricate and there's so much so many layers going on that you have to kind of address Mm -hmm. to be able to get your needs met in a relationship or even not in a relationship, you know, do you have people that come to you that aren't in relationships? Oh yeah. I mean, I think people forget that the most important relationship is a relationship with yourself. Mm -hmm. And so that's a lot of what I work on with individuals is like, we look at the relationship that you have with yourself and how that impacts your work. Your, if you're in a partnership, if you're a parent, if you're, you know, a kid, like whatever it is, like, that is fundamental to how we experience our life. And that's what we spend a lot of time doing is, you know, unpeeling those layers of the onion that is you. Yeah. Well, how brave of you though, to even go into this field, like what a huge (laughs) (laughs) responsibility and to just be able to say, this is what I do. Um, and you know, party conversation. Yeah. I (laughs) I bet. Does everyone just want to chat sex with you all the time? I would if you were my friend. <laughs> yeah, a lot of times. It's funny because I'm in a book club um, and a lot of the books that we read uh, are fiction. And so people will like talk about, you know, the characters and whatnot. And then somehow it devolves into about sex. And then they're always like, so what do you think? <laughs> you know? and I'm like, oh, guys, okay, fine, since you asked me. But I try to not assert my opinion a lot of times because one, I like I'm, I'm always in the default listening mode. So I think, um, 
And my opinions tend to be kind of out there anyways, because of like all the work I've done on myself. And some people just aren't ready for that. And so I'm like, you're like, tone it down. Tone it down. But give me three, give me three drinks and then you'll get my real honest opinion on a lot of things. So. Great. So next episode that we do, we'd like you to have a couple of mimosas before we get in here. Drunk Courtney. Yeah, that's right. she's, a, she's a good time. It could be a new show, kind of like the drunk history show. It could be the drunk <gasps> Courtney show. Oh, I like it. <laughs> Oh man, that's hilarious. Oh, yeah. yeah, they're taking your it. methods though and they're using them against you in book club. They're buffering. <laughs> yeah. They are. They, they are. are. Yeah. So tell me what you think about oh, well done, girl. Well, <laughs> I taught you well. I they're trying to well. get free therapy sessions. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's mm-hmm. great. It's great. I love it. Um, thank you so much for coming on and talking about this. Oh, and, thank you. Um, I mean it's part of everyone's life we were all made from it Uh (laughs) even if somebody hasn't done it yet they're made from it yeah and um so important to to talk about and open the door for other people to talk about so thank you so much yeah oh thank you guys for having me I really appreciate it tell us where uh, we can find you on socials and all that so I'm on most of the uh, I think on all the socials um it's at Courtney Boyer coaching and that's Courtney with a c uh, and then my website is CourtneyBoyerCoaching.com. And then the book I wrote um, called Not Tonight, Honey, Why Women Actually Don't Want Sex and What We Can Do About It is on Amazon, Kindle, most major book retailers. Oh, I need to read that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we should have read it before this. <laughs> We're going to have to have you come back so we can read it and then have. Oh, my gosh. I would love that. Lists of questions. Yeah. So Actually, let's crowdsource Perfect. some questions, Perfect. too. Yeah. Let's do that. Yes. Yeah. We'll do that. Would you do that? Awesome. Absolutely. I would love it. Okay. Is there a sex appreciation day? We could like launch a special podcast. Mm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. I love that. Drunk Courtney could, (laughs) drunk Courtney show can create. Yeah. They're like a national (laughs) sex appreciation. I'm looking it up right now. She's going to Google it. Sex appreciation day. I'm sure there is. There's like ice cream in a cup day. It's celebrated on June 9th. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. Great. June 9th, getting back on here. All that's the sexy Monday. talk. I think oh, no, it's, it's a Sunday. Sunday. Yeah, that's that's a Sunday. Yeah. Wow, you're so weird with that. <laughs> I have a photographic memory. I know. It's so weird. That's amazing. Yeah. Good for you. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Thank you so much. Bye. You, <laughs> Bye. Bye.